One of the things that I was thinking about when I was getting this class ready is uh, it was bringing me back to an experience I had back in high school. You know, I was a homeschooled student all the way through from uh, basically kindergarten all the way until college. And, um, you know, especially in high school, it's kind of the early period of learning to use the Internet for new forms of media and learning. <clears throat> and so I had this uh, online calculus class where, you know, without having Zoom or any of those fancy things, I had to literally call in on my, my phone number on the landline to listen to the guy speak as I'm half looking at the textbook, half looking at this really shoddy, you know, slow kind of graphic of him trying to draw. And it was really hard to follow. Um, but I remember when we were learning one of those key principles of calculus, I don't even remember which one it was. I just, you know, I think I missed what he was trying to say. And I, I didn't catch the explanation. And so when it came to this very major part of calculus, I just had no idea what was going on. So I found myself for like the next week, you know, looking at the textbook, not really understanding and basically trying to reverse engineer from the sample problems, how you're actually supposed to do this sort of math. And it was brutal, right? There were certain parts that I kind of got right on my own and there's certain parts that I got horribly wrong. And I remember the following week having a, a conversation with a teacher again over the phone where he was able to explain all of the mechanics for me, right? And, and just like that, it was like a light bulb went off. It, it suddenly made so much sense. I, I realized the things that I got right were indeed right and things that I didn't get right, he was able to correct and help me understand. Uh, but after that explanation, suddenly I was able to do those um, problems with no issue at all. And I think that when it comes to our walks with Christ or the sanctification journey, it's almost like that experience. You know, depending on uh, how the Lord has brought us into the faith and, you know, trained us over the years, you know, there's aspects in which maybe we understood um, the process of growing in Christ-likeness or becoming like Him intuitively. There's things that we learn from other people. Um, but maybe there were other aspects of growth which took us many more years or even a decade or two to learn. Right? And it's after you've learned those things where you look back and say, of course, it makes so much sense, but at the time, there's no way that you would have known how to do it on your own. And really, my thought behind this class is wanting to offer some of those principles for us here as a church. You know, what does it actually look like to see spiritual change in our life? What are all the different things that we need to consider um, in order to truly grow into Christ-likeness? And some of these will seem very obvious and intuitive, Others, maybe not so, um, you know, but the hope is really that in the, the time we have over these next six weeks is that we will be able to understand better how it is that we pursue spiritual change, but also as a second part, how we help other people pursue spiritual change. So there's the element in which we're trying to grow ourselves, but also in helping uh, other people. I know that seems like a little daunting process in six weeks. Um, we're going to do our best. Obviously, the Christian life is a, a lifetime in which we're trying to grow. So I know that we're not going to capture everything, but want to give you at least the main um, biblical principles here. And like I was saying before, you know, I love when our, our classes can be more conversation, you know, understanding elements that uh, you're working through, your own personal questions or maybe situations in your life. It just helps us grow so much more. We'll love to hear maybe as we're getting started, uh, what are some things that drew you to a class like how people change? You know, what, what makes you interested about um, this subject here? We'd love to hear from some of you. Lauren, was that a raising of the hand? It's your scratching. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Care to share, though? Yeah. 
it was the first class on the list. You're like, sure, I'll do that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Psychology standpoint. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I took a bunch of psych classes. Like, it was like part of my electives, and I always thought it was just interesting. And then, whether it's from a business standpoint, mm -hmm. relating to people, so on and so forth. I mean, everybody learns different. Everybody responds differently, mm. and it's going to help with your relationships. And then, say you can tell there's somebody out there that's struggling that you're trying to reach, right? Well, that kind of plays into it. And, somebody you may not have been able to reach or help. Mm. Yeah, okay, good. So maybe you have a friend or someone in your life to where you say, man, they're going through something. I really wish I could come alongside them and help them. I don't fully know how. You know, now you can through that. And, and then maybe the first part of what you're saying is true too. If you have a background in secular psychology, that was one of my majors in college. You know, they are presenting ways of helping people grow. And obviously the question is, okay, we see what you know, the world says, we see what non-believers say, what does the Bible actually say about the nature of change, right? Yeah, that's good. Okay, um, other things that are interesting you about this topic here? Yeah, Gary. I'm an old dog, but I want to learn some new tricks. Okay, <laughs> good for you, Gary. Well, what an example for all of us to follow, right? Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, so just always wanting to learn more, right? How we can be better at um, living the Christian life. Yeah. Okay. Would you say a lot of you guys probably map onto some of those things that were brought up? So having someone in your life you want to help, knowing what you know um, psychology says, or, or just in general wanting to grow more. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So th again, I know all of us are coming from different places, but I hope and pray that this time will be really helpful for all of us here. You know, maybe to start our time off. This isn't written in, in the slides or anything, but I just want to look at one quick verse. You know, you can turn there if you want, but we're going to read it pretty quickly. It's um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, such a crucial verse that I think really sets the stage for what we're trying to do in the Christian life and why we turn to God's Word so much. Um, 2 Peter 1, 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All right, so starting off that letter, Peter is saying, God has given us in his power all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. In God's word, right, in his goodness, he's given us everything we need to pursue change, to pursue life in its abundance, to pursue godliness, God hasn't withheld anything from us. And so in the pages of his word, as we study um, that, as we engage in all the things that he calls us to do, God has given us everything we need to pursue spiritual change, right? And so that applies to you if you're a new believer that's still trying to figure out what it means to uh, become a quote-unquote good Christian. Uh, it applies to you if you know that your marriage is struggling and you want um, help in that area. It applies if you're a parent and you just want your kids to um, stop fighting all the time, right? Whatever your situation is, God's word has something to say. Uh, and again, this process of sanctification that we're going to be looking at is trying to draw those principles out, at least in a way that's applicable to all, all different situations. So just to give an overview of, of the class, and again, I am the worst artist in the world, so I'm going to try drawing something if, if it's helpful. What we're trying to do is going over the, the different mechanics of sanctification, right? So the first, uh, what we're covering today is just the peak. That is, what is our purpose and goal in the Christian life, right? What is it that we're striving to do in general? 
And then if we're seeing this as kind of the, the, the Christian life is a mountain, then we're going to follow and learn about the path. Right? That is, what is the road we actually take to get to that peak or that goal, uh, which is, again, the idea of sanctification or heart change. Right? So if the peak is we want to become like Christ and honor him in all things, what does that path of sanctification or heart change actually look like? Then for the, our third session, we're going to look at some of the pitfalls. What are the things that people often do to try to grow or try to change that maybe they might uh, have some kind of benefit temporarily, but they're actually not going to help you grow. They're going to actually lead to um, issues down the line. Uh, then we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at the process. So if you're going to zoom into the actual road, right, you're thinking, what does it look like to actually take steps or learning how to hike? What is the process practically on a day-to-day -day basis that we need to be engaged in if we want to actually hike or grow in this process of sanctification? And so, you know, I'm just going to summarize that as the spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of ways you can see that, uh, looking at it in four uh, major categories that all believers need. And then, um, I don't even know how you would try to draw this out, but then the last week, we're going to look at some pointers. That is, what does it look like practically, biblically, um, to come alongside other people as you're trying to help them also grow in their Christ-likeness? Or in other words, if we're all hiking up on this journey trying to get to the top, how do you not only do it yourself, um, but how do you help other people as they're trying to hike along the process? Uh, this was very stretching because I hate hiking, but I figured it's, it's a helpful analogy. Everything starts with a P, so that's why we went with it. Um, but that, that's basically where we're going to go. So each week we're going to hit some of these themes with the process taking um, to here. So today, looking at our purpose, we're looking at what the peak actually is, right? We, what we're going to be looking at is that our goal in the Christian life is to become like Christ. And when you're breaking down all of the verses in Scripture, um, all of the commands, all of the promises, all of the prophecies, all of these things that you see, it's all boiling down in our New Testament period to becoming more like Christ. And I wanted to see this as kind of three major ways or three types of discipleship that you see. Um, if you're looking at your notes, you're going to see that there's kind of two verses for each one or two passages for each section. There's a lot more you can say, but I just wanted to hit kind of the main highlights here. So um, what does spiritual change involve? Uh, first off, it's going to involve personal discipleship. That is personally walking as a disciple or as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we have here Mark 8.34, right? Very famous passage. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, that is Jesus, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you've studied this part of the Gospel of Mark, right, this is the very pivotal section after everyone's realizing that Jesus is the Messiah. And there's all the confusion around what does it mean that he's the Messiah and what does it mean to actually follow him? There's massive crowds that are now claiming that they want to be followers of Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And so in this verse, in this section, uh, Jesus is trying to clarify to all these people that are coming after him, if you're really saying that you're going to follow me, what does it mean and what does it require? Right? So he, he breaks it down into a couple of different sections. He says, first, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. Right? And there, he's not saying you must deny certain things that you like. You're denying yourself. Right? Think about how often all of us are living from the moment we wake up to the moment when we go to bed for us. And we're pursuing what we like, what we love, what we're interested in. 
We talk about what annoys us, the things that we hate. You know, naturally, we're always thinking about ourselves. And right from the get-go, what Jesus is saying, what it means to be his follower is, you're saying no to everything about you. You are no longer worrying about what you enjoy or desire or perceive or want. You're no longer caring about your 10-year plan or your 20-year plan. Everything now must be about him. Right? So from the very beginning, it's that posture of self-denial. I no longer think about Alex. I no longer care about what Alex gets out of this life. I no longer care about whether Alex lives or dies. Right? And you see that even the next, the, the next statement. He says, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. You know, a lot of us love the crosses and maybe some of us wear it or you see it in beautiful imagery in a church, right? But you know that in that day, the cross was a symbol of not only death, but the worst kind of death. Uh, it was a symbol of, of uh, communal shame. Right? You will only see the worst types of criminals crucified, it's the worst types of offenders. And, and the whole process as they're going up to be crucified, everyone would look at them and mock them and think about how horrible they are. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to be willing to suffer that type of fate or that type of death. In other words, you are saying, I am willing to even give up this life for Jesus. And think about just for a second how much we cling to life, right? And even now for me and my wife, we're in this whole journey of trying to eat healthier and be more intentional with exercise. Because again, we don't know how long the Lord would have us here on this earth. We want to be good stewards. Um, but we're doing this to say, you know, I don't want to artificially, you know, um, uh, end my life, right? I want to be here as long as possible. And we all pursue that in different ways. But Jesus is saying to follow him, you need to have the posture in which you're saying, I am fine dying. Right? I'm fine losing even my own life in order to follow him. Uh, it's what you see in Philippians 1.21, where Paul says, for, uh, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, as long as I'm alive on this earth, everything is for Jesus. Right? I'm no longer living for myself. My personal interests are done. In fact, when I die, that is going to be gain. That's going to be the greatest possible thing, right? When I die, my funeral is actually going to be a celebration. Um, I don't know how many funerals you guys have been to or even in the last year. And, and again, for, for good reason, right? We mourn the loss of a loved one that we knew personally, the fact that they're no longer in our presence. Uh, for those that are believers, though, there's also that other sense of joy that even in their death, there's a part of us that says they're going into the best possible state ever, right? Yes, I'm sad that I personally can't see them as much as I once did, but the fact that they're now in the presence of God, that is the greatest possible game. Right? That's the posture that we need to have if we're calling ourselves a Christian, is we are saying, I no longer care about my personal desires, and in fact, I am willing to die for Christ. I'm willing to give up this life. And when I eventually do, it's going to be the best possible situation and scenario. Right? That alone would completely change how we see so much about life. Right? We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross. And then what you see in that last phrase, and then follow me. What would happen in that day with the rabbis or the teachers, right? they would have followers or disciples. And these disciples would literally walk behind or follow their teacher wherever they would go, listen to everything they said, and try to be exactly like their leader. 
Right? And so what it means to follow him in this case is just everything else that we know about the Christian life. We must look like him. We must live like him. Everything about who we are can no longer be Alex Mashlinardo. It must be Jesus and all about who he is. And so again, right, what does it mean to be a Christian or to follow him or to be his disciple? It means surrendering your entire life to him. The tendency we have, right, even as Christians, is we pick and choose the things that we want to give up, right? We naturally see certain sins that we wouldn't be drawn to, that maybe people in the world do, and we say, those things are horrible. How on earth could people sit in that kind of way? But then there are those respectable sins, as, as Jerry Bridges describes, those things that we are naturally drawn to, whether it is pride, right? whether it is selfishness or the love of sports or family or, or, or anything like that that we cling on to. And those are the things that we don't want to give up. Right? But what it means to be a Christian truly is you're saying whatever those things are right, that I personally struggle with, I must be willing to surrender to Christ, even if it's difficult. I've shared this story as part of my testimony, but I remember when I was growing up, um, I had a, uh, you know, wonderful pastor, you know, very uh, powerful preacher and very passionate for the Lord. And I think I remember in one of the sermons, you know, he was saying, you know, especially for all of you here, you know, would you be willing to still be a believer and a Christian if your entire family left the faith and disowned you? Right? It's easy to say, hey, I want to be a Christian because I have this great community of people and my family is all believers. We all go to the same church. But would you still be willing to follow Jesus if your whole family were to disown you um, for following him? And, and as a homeschooled, what is it, middle school, high schooler at the time, that, that was a hard thing to grasp, right? Like, what would I do, literally, if my parents, whom I love, said, we're turning our backs on Christ and if you don't, you are going to be out on the street. Like, what would I actually do in that situation? Right? But that's the kind of posture that a Christian will have. No matter what it is that it's going to cost me, I am willing to follow Jesus and give up everything in this life. I'm not talking about this is what a super believer does or the most godly person ever. This is what it means to be a Christian. Right? This is what Jesus is saying to all of the crowds that are following him, saying, if you really say you're going to follow me, you must do all of this. Right, so this is the starting point for the Christian life. You deny yourself. I no longer care about me. I'm willing to give up everything, count death even as gain, and then I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for him in all things. Uh, and so that's hopefully a good starting point to consider. Are you living in this kind of light? Would you say that in your pursuit of Christ, your Christian uh, life, you are truly living at Mark 8.34? Uh, another passage that also hits on this theme, what does it mean to personally follow after Jesus? It means to become like him in every respect. So uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, He's trying to describe here, what does sanctification actually look like, right? What does it mean if we're saying, I want to become more like Christ? A simple definition is this. Sanctification is where every single part of who you are is slowly becoming more and more like Jesus. Everything from your behavior, to your thoughts, to your emotions, to your desires, to your will, everything about who you are is becoming more and more like Jesus. 
And we're going to address some of that when we get to the pitfalls, but so much, right? Even for myself, for all of us naturally, all we see for the most part is our behavior, right? We see what we do. We see what our family does. We see what friends do. And we make decisions or judgments about how everyone is personally, spiritually, based on what we see, right? But what sanctification ultimately is about is not just what you're doing. It's about who you are as a person becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, the, the illustration that's being used here is the idea of an image, that we're seeing who Jesus is. And as we behold the glory of the Lord, right, as we engage more in his word and know who he is and love him more, we're being transformed into that same image. All right, think about if you know um, a daughter who's like a splitting image of their mom. Does anyone, is anyone like that? Does anyone know that? Yeah. Or would you say you're a splitting image of, of your mom? Yeah. Okay. People made that comment a lot. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, maybe bring a picture next week. It'll be fun to you know see how accurate that is. Um, we've all seen that, right? Where you, you look at you know this younger you know guy or girl, like man, when I look at you, I feel like I'm seeing your your mom or your dad. Hopefully in a good way. If it's you know not the most flattering thing, I'm sorry. But you know that's what that's what sanctification is. Is that you know as we grow more to become like Christ, people look at us. And there's almost like they're having those flashbacks of, I, I'm beginning to see Jesus in you. I, I feel like when I'm reading the pages of scripture and I see you in person, it's almost like I'm getting a sense of who Christ is, right? And again, not that we're trying to over-elevate any of us, but that's what sanctification truly is. Over time, as we behold the glory of God, we're being transformed into the same image. And, and notice it says, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, it's not like you instantaneously become the most perfect or righteous person. But over time, in just one degree at a time, you become more and more like Jesus. This is a, a totally secular book, but um, there's a, a quote-unquote self-help psychology book called Atomic Habits. Some of you might have heard about it. And, and again, you never look at secular literature and say that's what we follow, right? But when there's good principles, it's something to consider. And one of the things they say about building habits or change, right? Very few people will go from zero to 100 instantly. What most people do is you make one degree of change, right? And if you keep with that one degree of change and just every day, it's just a little bit more, over the course of a year, you've now grown 38% or whatever it is, right? And I know that that's a secular book. It's not something we look to as like the gospel or biblical, but the principle is there. In our Christian life, right, there's very few times where in one day we're suddenly a different person. That does happen, praise God for when it does. In a lot of our growth, it's by one degree at a time. As we see God, as we grow to become more like him, one degree each day, it's over the course of our life that we then become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we're going to look more into this in one of the weeks. So this is where heart change is important, right? We're not just changing our behavior. Um, it's allowing the Lord to change our worldview and how we worship and what we worship so that our works or our behavior is then changed. This is the process that we're going to be looking at here. Uh, but to kind of summarize that, I just want to give you one quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, We may think God wants actions of a certain kind, but God wants people of a certain kind. 
How much are you thinking about what you're doing and using that as a reflection of your spiritual state? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible more. I feel like I'm in a good place or I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm in a good place, right? All of those things, again, they are good. We want to grow in, in what we do and what people can see. But where we need to focus, what God ultimately cares about are who we are as people, right? Not just our behavior, but the heart behind our behavior, who we are and our thoughts and our desires, um, first and foremost, that then changes or shapes how we actually live. And so we have to think about in that kind of way, are we thinking more about our actions or are we thinking about who we are before the Lord? And so maybe as a couple of reflection questions to think about this week, what are the biggest areas in your life that you know you need to surrender to Christ? You know, maybe they are giant overt sins. You're saying, yeah, I've clearly just been denying the Lord in this area and I have to surrender that to him. But it could also be things that aren't sinful in themselves, but that you've just been holding on to. You know, what I I really need is to make sure I have uh, absolute financial security in my life. I'm going to spend all these hours and work overtime because I need to make sure there's a certain number in the bank account and then I'm going to be good. We wouldn't say that having money or a certain amount in the bank is wrong or sinful, but you can be holding on to that in a way in which you're saying implicitly, Lord, I absolutely need this. Like, this is something I will not let go of. You know, maybe it's the idea of of having a, a beautiful, shiny, happy family where everything is going well. You're saying, at the end of the day, I must make sure that my family turns out okay. That's a great thing to pursue, right? That's a godly thing to pursue, but are you holding on to it in a way that's potentially idolatrous? You're saying, I'm not going to accept God anymore if suddenly my kids don't turn out the way that I wanted them to. Um, those are the types of conversations that we need to have in prayer before the Lord. And then maybe, you know, think about this too. We'll look at this in a future week. Um, why is it hard to surrender certain things to Christ? You know, there is the, the what, the things that we do naturally hold on to. But what about it is so difficult to let go of? Right? And that always speaks to them, the idols of the heart, or the things that we're most desiring or worshiping in the Lord, whether that is control or honor, how we're perceived by other people. Right? There's all these heart idols that we can cling on to, but there's always the why that we have to address as well. So that's kind of the first major category, right? So what does Christ uh, likeness look like? It's becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's personally following after him. Any thoughts, uh, questions you guys have about what we've covered so far? <coughs> it could be good or bad. <coughs> yeah. I was thinking of the timing during Jesus' time. So when they followed him, they were probably going to get thrown out of the synagogue. Mm-hmm. That was the end of their economic livelihood. Yes. Mm-hmm. We don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet. Right, right. Yeah, so <clears throat> maybe it's been much easier for us, you know, being in the 21st century in America than it has been in, in their day and age. And you're exactly right. You know, when you think about what the synagogue was in that day, it wasn't just their religious institution. It was their familial institution, right? The whole uh, Jewish life was based around that. Uh, it was your, you know, community the place in which you're relating to people. So when you're losing access to the synagogue by being a believer, it's literally like you're becoming an outcast to society. Uh, you lose everything in this life. 
And yeah, so it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, of course I'll give up everything. That means I gotta look at my phone less, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but truly the posture that they had to have as many Christians have to do around the entire world is I'm gonna lose everything by following Christ. Yeah, that's great. It just happened here recently in the past couple of years. Just go a couple thousand miles to the east, go to the Middle East, right? Mm. Go to Iraq. There was literally ISIS when the resurgence came through with that. They were literally executing Christians mm-hmm. and throwing their bodies in a river. Yeah. So it happens, and it's not something we see here on a daily basis. I saw it firsthand when I was over there. Mm. So yeah. trust me, there are people out there that it does happen to on a daily basis. Yeah. It's like we're in this little bubble here. It's just, it's kind of hard for the American mind to mm-hmm. contemplate until you see it up close. Yeah. But yeah. it does happen. Yeah. And, and I think what you're, you know, saying as a principle in this passage is sure, maybe what you have to do based on the culture you're living in, the church background is going to be different, but the heart posture is the same. Right? What it means to be willing to follow Jesus means that in, in this area, maybe you don't have to give up as much. Right? But if your heart truly is the same, it means if you were in that situation where your family is saying, or you know, your wife is saying, I am going to divorce you if you follow Jesus. Right? It's exactly the same heart there. And so that's what we're aiming after. That's what we're desiring here. So thank you for those comments. <clears throat> so we see how spiritual change, becoming like Christ involves personal discipleship. But something that I've, I've talked about in a different class before, and I think even a sermon, is uh, it involves communal discipleship as well. In other words, in our Christian life, we're thinking intentionally, intensively about our personal walk with Jesus, but we're thinking just as much about the walks of other people. Right? You guys know this passage really well. It's the Great Commission. It's the last charge that Jesus has given to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. Right After you've seen all of who I am, all that I've done in dying and rising from the dead, this is now what you're going to be called to do. And, and here's the passage. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's uh, defining here what it means to be involved in discipleship. So he starts off, notice there's a couple parts. He says, go, uh, which it's not like this imperative or command like, go and do this. If you're, you know, looking at the grammars, maybe some of you have heard before, it's a present participle, and I don't want to bore you with that, but it basically means this is something you're going to do in the course of your life. As you're going about in your day-to-day affairs, as you're living your life, this is what you need to do, which is to make disciples. So as you're going about in your life, make disciples, right? And, And how does he explain that? He explains it in several ways. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, baptizing is not just the act of obedience, which it is, right? It's demonstrating externally what's happened internally in your life. But you have to remember, what you see in Scripture is not at all what we see in our modern context. A person gets baptized in the beginning of their Christian faith, right? One of the first acts of obedience is when they surrender their life to Christ, right? They finally say, I surrender all things to Jesus. He is now my Lord and Savior. The first thing they would do is get baptized because, right, we're saved by grace through faith alone. We're not saved by the act of obedience. But if it's true that our our internal change shows itself externally, baptism was that first demonstration of that. 
So that's why you see all throughout the book of Acts, repent and be baptized. Now repent, that is surrender your life to Christ, and then immediately follow that with that act of obedience there. And so the reason he's using it is he's using baptism as kind of a catch-all as the start of a person's faith. So where does discipleship begin? It starts with evangelizing and to the point in which people are turning their life over to Christ. Starting off with everything we saw in that first section of, okay, I am now dead to myself. Right? That's what you're doing in baptism. I'm now dead to myself and this new life that I'm living coming out of the grave is now for Jesus. That's where it starts. We evangelize, we disciple so people know how to follow Jesus. But then it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so the other two parts of discipleship is teaching, right? We need to be able to explain uh, to other people how to follow Christ. That involves everything from explaining the gospel uh, to being able to walk people through books of the Bible, to answering hard questions, to giving the rationale for why we live the way that we do, offering correction and instruction when someone's going astray. All of that where we're teaching them, right? That's informing them with doctrine of God's word to observe all that I've commanded you, right? So there needs to be that exhortation as well of here's how Christ is actually calling you to live, right? Maybe you were living a sinful lifestyle where you're uh, you know, living with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or you're, you know, blatantly lying to your boss about something. You need to change that, right? But that starts with instruction that then leads to exhortation as well. What you're seeing here in this section, right, about the Great Commission is that this commission is not just to be a disciple of Christ, but it's to make disciples of Christ. And I've said this before, but this is a huge paradigm shift, I think, for a lot of Christians, especially here in America, we think so much about our Christian life as a personal journey, right? I'm now coming to faith in Jesus, and I'm learning what it means to follow him, and I'm growing in all of these ways, which we say, amen and amen, praise God for how he's working in your life. But the Christian life is inherently others-focused, right? It's inherently thinking about how do I come alongside other people and do these things? Right? Jesus is speaking to his, his 11 remaining disciples, but this is for all of us here. Right, We are going to be engaged in the work of administering to other people and helping them to observe all that Christ has commanded him. Uh, Mark Dever is a, a well-known pastor in a lot of our circles here, and he gives this very simple definition of disciples. It's so simple I can't really say it's his, but you know it's in his book. He just describes discipleship as helping others follow Jesus. Right? What are we trying to do in our, our lives? As we're engaging in our walks personally, we're then coming alongside other people and saying, hey, let me help you follow Jesus better. Let me do what I can to speak truth into your life and, and lovingly exhort you with things that maybe you're blind to, you're not recognizing. Right? That's what it actually means. You're, you're trying to help them understand in that kind of way. Um, one verse that you also see explain this well is Ephesians 4:11 uh, to 13. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We'll stop there, right? Jesus gave his church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, right? Those are the, the various types of leaders that we've seen in the church age. He's given all of those leaders to the church. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
It's not that those leaders are all the ones doing ministry, right? We do in different ways. But our primary goal is actually to equip you for the work of ministry. Right? How much is that your mentality coming into church on a Sunday morning or on a Monday morning in your, your daily life? How much are you thinking about what you're doing on this earth as I am a minister of Christ involved in ministering to fellow ministers? Right? That is what we should be doing when we come to be a part of church. It's not just, hey, I'm here to receive a bunch of good things. I'm here to learn good doctrine and avoid uh, worldliness in the world. All of that is true. But the whole other half of the Christian life is engaging in the work of ministry or discipleship, being able to help people grow. You know, this morning, do you see that you have a responsibility, right? Not just a suggestion, but an obligation to help people become more like Christ. When you're then ministering to other people, whether it's your own kids or friends in church, how much are you not only trying to help them grow, but helping them to understand that's their role too, right? Do you see how it goes from one person to the next to the next? We're not just thinking about ourselves here. We're not just thinking about how can I become a moral person here? We're thinking about how do I grow in my love and pursuit of Christ so that I can then help other people also grow in their loves of Christ. So if you're a person, right, and this applies to me to any of us, where you are now in a place where you're obeying all of God's commands, your life looks like Jesus, and everyone looks to you as the perfect example to follow. People want their kids to be like you, and they, they name their son after you because you're such an awesome person. But you're not helping other people. You've actually failed the Christian life. Or you've actually missed the purpose of why you're here. Because there's the, the personal element, but there's this corporate or communal element as well that we need to be engaged in the lives of, of other people. And so here's a couple reflection questions to be thinking about. How engaged are you in ministering to others? Right, on a practical level, think about your, your day, your, your week, um, how you're scheduling even the fall. Um, those things that you're now prioritizing in your life that you really want to do. How much are you prioritizing ministry, right? And ministry can take a lot of context. It doesn't just have to be that you're teaching a class here. It can. It doesn't mean you're having to lead some kind of formal Bible study or small group. It can. But it can also be being intentional in the conversations with those in your life. It could be getting involved in some of the church ministries, like a women's Bible study or a small group or something, and thinking about when I go into this context, how can I be intentional to point people to Jesus? How can I be intentional to, you know, if I'm hearing something off, just, you know, gently say, this is where I think the Bible speaks to your situation, right? That too is ministry. It doesn't have to be some kind of formal thing where you're saying, you know, for the next three years, we're going to meet on a Friday morning and go through some book, right? That can be helpful in, in its right situation. It can, <laughs> but it can also involve just as you're having people over, right? You're having dinner with a family or friend or, um, you know, talking about life. You're saying, how can I actually pray for you today, right? And, and maybe they're sharing what they're struggling and saying, well, you know, thank you for sharing that. You know, here's, here's a passage that I think will really encourage you. Or, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I think this part's right. But I think here's an area where you really have to reconsider how you're viewing your situation. Right? All of that can be considered ministry as well. And so we see that the, the ministry that this passage is calling us to, that we're called to do in the Great Commission, happens on a whole spectrum of formal to informal. 
over time, should we be getting involved in formal ministry? Yes. And I love when I hear those that are approaching retirement or already in retirement, seeing that as I am moving from part-time ministry to now vocational ministry, right? I was working for some company for the last 30, 40 years. I've given, well, not, I've given my soul to them in some kind of way. But now that I am not working, I can spend all of my time thinking about ministering to God's people, right? Just going through the church app and praying through the requests that are there, seeing how it can serve in various forms that maybe I couldn't have done when I was engaged in a nine to five for 30 years. We need to have this kind of posture where we're saying, I need and I want to pour into the lives of other people. So two more reflection questions to consider this week. Like I said, how engaged are you in ministering to other people? All right, so just thinking about practically, what are you prioritizing? And is this a priority on the top of your list? But then secondly, and here's where I think this, this is why we're here in the class. How do you need to grow to be able to minister to other people effectively? It's one thing to have the desire. It's another thing to be able to actually do it, right? I might want to be an Olympic level swimmer. There is no way I'm ever going to be able to do that. I mean, I can kind of swim, but there's no way I'm like a Michael Phelps or anything, right? It's one thing to desire to be able to minister, which all of us should, but now how do you actually do that? And this is where you're thinking about my knowledge of scripture. Do I know enough about God's word to be, even, to be able to explain it to someone? Do I know enough to be able to answer questions from people? Do I know enough about sanctification discipleship to come alongside someone that's struggling? <laughs> All of these are the, the other side of the Christian life. We grow ourselves personally, but then we also have to know the skill of helping other people. Um, yes. Can you repeat that question? Um, the, the question? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the second. So how do you need to grow to be able to minister to other people effectively? Yeah. So what are the ways that we need to improve? In quotes. Um, yeah. To that point, other thoughts or questions you guys have? Is this, you know, are you tracking with this? Is this, uh, you know, new? Yeah. Yeah, the, the wise woman believe class, yeah. And I love hers because it, it had to do with the three things that they stand for. Uh-huh. And the lie was that we often believe, um, as women, but everyone, that we're not equipped to do kingdom work. And I know I, I fall into that category. I constantly mm. think that, oh, I'm just going to do Christ as a servant if I work. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's a great thing to consider. And, and going back to, uh, you know, that uh, Second Peter passage we looked at the very beginning, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, right? So we, we are equipped, we have that, but now there's the question of, are we being intentional to grow so that we can share what's helpful? Because, you know, what can also happen, and this is, this is I agree with what Virginia was trying to get at. The danger is, you know, we're now a believer, we have scripture, but we've never seriously studied it. We've never learned how to help. Therefore, maybe you're, you're offering counsel that isn't helpful. That's actually, you know, steering someone the wrong way. So, you know, th there's dangers on the other side. There's a danger of I've not been equipped enough, so therefore what I'm sharing isn't helpful. There's the other danger, which is probably a lot of our tendencies where I've learned and studied a lot and I'm never going to feel ready, right? So the Christian life is being able to do both. We're intentional to grow so we can avoid the pitfalls, but then also say, hey, I should know enough now if I've been at church for some season of time to help someone. 
You know, what I would hope, and this doesn't always get communicated in every single equip class, but the reason why we're doing these on a six-week rotation, covering as many topics as we are, is the hope is that once you've gone over something for six weeks, you should know enough to be able to help someone over a cup of coffee. Right? Maybe not go into every single detail of what they're going through and, and solve every single problem, but you should theoretically know enough to say, here's what I learned, right? Here's one or two verses, and here's how it can be helpful for you. And so that's, that's again, where you can even think about this level of, of effectiveness, right? Sure, not all of us are gonna feel as confident to get up in front of a main pulpit and preach, but from what you've studied this week, in, in your daily Bible reading, have you learned something that you can then share with, with another person? So that, that's a good comment. Maybe just one other comment or question if you guys have any. Okay, that's great, yeah. Don't feel like you have to ask anything. So, you know, what is this uh, growth in Christ-likeness, right? There's the personal discipleship of surrendering all that we are to Jesus, saying, I, you are the one that I'm now living for. There's this communal element. We're not only caring about ourselves, but 50% of our time is thinking about other people. And then we have this third element, which is just loving discipleship. This is the catch-all for everything we've seen here. Um, you see on the screen, Matthew 22, 36 to verse 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Right? You break down the 600 whatever number of commands you see in the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. Which one is the greatest, the first that I must consider? <laughs> And he or Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? How do you summarize what we're trying to do as believers? All of the the, the pages of scripture with all the exhortations and commands, how do you summarize the gist of it? The most important thing, it is love. We love God and then we love people. And there's a lot of misconceptions about what love actually is, right? Especially when you hear the word agape, because that's what that actually is, right? Let me give you the simple definition of it and maybe we can explain more. What it means to love is to have a warm regard for and interest in another, cherish or have affection for. It's the idea that when you uh, look at a person, you are cherishing them in your heart. You are esteeming them as great or worthy of adoration and affection. You are taking pleasure in that person or that thing. And Jesus, of course, as we know well in church, equates then this love to obedience, right? You have John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I think the danger that we find in conservative churches is we just make it about obedience, right? You say, what, what is love? It's, it's obedience. What is love? I'm doing what you call me to do, right? That's, that's missing the first part. What is genuine love for the Lord? It means that in ourselves, there is an, a part of us in, in which we can look at him, we can think about him with true affection and adoration as well. We esteem him highly in our heart, you know, without anyone asking us to. And from that posture of genuinely cherishing and adoring and loving the Lord, we say, God, how can I obey you today? And, and so we need to have both of those elements in our mind, right? We don't 
overly emphasize feeling a certain way of having an emotion of, man, I just feel like my, my heart's bubbling over with, with love for God. Maybe you go through seasons like that, but maybe you don't. But it's saying deep down in your soul, is there that true, genuine, high esteem for who God is in your heart? Do you have that as a starting place? Because that's then the summary for all of these other commandments that we have in Scripture. It's not just live a holy life, serve other people, you know, give all your money to the church, whatever. All of those commands are subsidiary to genuine love for God. Why is it that we're called to then reconcile with people that we have broken relationships? Why is it that we're called to put others above ourselves? We don't do those in itself, but that flows from a love for other people. And so what Jesus is getting in this passage is this. All of us naturally, we all worship something. We all love something. We're going to look at this more in a couple weeks. There is something or someone who is the greatest in our minds, the one that we esteem the most, that we value the most. Oftentimes, that's us, right? We make ourselves the king and queen of, of the universe. But Jesus is saying, you know, he must be on that throne, that Christ must be the object of our adoration and affection and love and desire. And when he is, that's then when we have the right motivation to do the rest of the Christian life, to serve him and to disciple other people. It needs to come from this place of love. Our ministry, our obedience and sanctification must be rooted in love. And if it's not, then that's what we would call legalism. If it's not from a heart of genuinely knowing and adoring the Lord, that is where we talk about the danger of religiosity, of just going through the motions of going to church because it's a good thing and wanting to parent our, our kids so they're moral people. All of that, if it's not rooted in genuine love for the Lord, is legalism and what the Pharisees were engaged in. Alex? Yeah, yeah. How do you, how would you help somebody decipher between if they're doing something that's good and have a lifestyle that's good? How could you help them in understanding if they're doing it for the right reason or not? Oh, yeah, that, that's a great question. I think, you know, part of it is, you know, trying to just take time and saying, okay, when you wake up in the morning, when you're by yourself, take 15, 30 minutes in silence, you know, why are you trying to live the Christian life? I just, just ask them that question. You know, what, what, why are you doing all of this? You know, oftentimes asking those open-ended questions can be helpful of, well, I think it's, it's the right thing to do, or, you know, I, I've lived the, the wrong kind of life and it's been painful and, and this is good for me, versus a person that says, you know, um, I, I see what the gospel is, and I am, I am a sinner. There's no way I deserve this, you know. Uh, I think just asking questions of what is your true motivation or why are you doing what you do can be helpful in and, and people's response. And it, it's not like you're trying to trick them, right? Aha, you know, I, I heard the wrong thing, but just asking those genuine things. Why are you doing what you're doing, um, you know, can be helpful. So if you heard the incorrect response, yeah. Yeah. Again, I think it depends on the, the situation, but, you know, maybe one way of saying, hey, that's great. Um, you know, how much do you think you are doing it out of genuine love for God? You know, what, what do you think it, you know, when you read this passage, what do you think it means? And uh, it, it could be something. Yeah. Again, it depends on the situation. You know, um, if it's just a friend, it's unprompted, you know, you're just in, in conversations about life and you know, they bring this up. 
I think then it's just encouraging them saying, hey, I, I praise God for what you're doing and how the Lord's worked in your life. Um, I know we're all trying to grow. I hope that as part of your you know, growth, you're also considering what it means to know and love the Lord more and, and cherish Him more. And, and then uh, take the rest of this class because yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll go over some of the, the mechanics and what that actually looks like. Um, yeah, but th that's a great question. So right now we're just trying to set the, the big picture, right? This is what we need to actually do. Um, another passage that hits on the same theme, which we know well, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We know this passage, but I would encourage you to dwell on this even in this week. Right? Think about how incredible some of these things would be. To be able to speak in any kind of language and proclaim the truth of God. And, and again, there's different thoughts about what it means to speak in the tongues of angels, but just think about how lofty that would be, how incredible it would be. Imagine if you had the types of prophetic ability to understand all of the mysteries of the universe, explain every single detail, every single moral question or quandary. If you had the ability to move mountains, right? Because you so believed and trust in the Lord that you said something and Mount Everest itself would move. You would be considered a God in this universe, right? I mean, think about how incredibly powerful all of those things are. But Paul is saying, if you do not have love, all of that is meaningless. Right? Going back to our first part about being willing to die for Christ. If you're willing to give up your body and be burned, and you're not doing it because you love God and people, all of that means nothing. This is how important love needs to be. We, we can have the perfect life of ministry and sanctification. Without love, it's nothing. And that should be a sobering challenge for all of us, right? Um, it's so easy to get engaged in um, the rat race of life, thinking about the fall as it's starting. I'm sure the millions of sports and church activities and things that you're now juggling through over this upcoming year, how much are you thinking about, am I truly growing in my love for the Lord? And am I doing this to love the people in my life? Or am I just doing it because I have to do it? That's something that we need to engage, honestly, probably in a daily to a weekly basis, right? I know how often I lose track of my own life. And I'm just engaged in ministry because, you know, it's what I do. All of it has to come from this heart posture of love for the Lord. So two reflection questions here. What is your Christian life motivated by? As you think about yourself today on August 27, 2023, what are you motivated by? When you're driving to church this morning, why did you come here? You know, when you're thinking about going into the service, what, what are you trying to do? When you're singing those songs, right, what are you trying to do when you're singing these incredible lyrics praising God? Right? What are you actually motivated by? And then, you know, the second question, which then leads to why we're here in this class, how are you seeking to love God more and more? 
Um, you know, we don't want to over make things practical, but if we are trying to grow, right, we're thinking about that one degree at a time, we're not going to change overnight, right, but we're always being intentional day by day to um, seek spiritual change. So how are you actually trying to grow in the Lord? Um, this is what we got to do as believers, right? This is the starting point. Um, in a lot of classes, right, if you'll see over time, I usually hit on some of these topics, and it's not because I'm just trying to be redundant. It's because this is where everything in the Christian life starts from. We're not just being moral people. We're trying to be like Christ. We want to know Jesus. We want to love him. And from that love, then we need to be able to help other people as well. Um, so that's mostly what I have for you here. Uh, I just wanted to keep it super simple as we're going. Any other just questions or comments? I mean, what you guys have said has been super helpful um, to kind of lead a discussion. And if every brand new believer could understand all that you've just explained, I think it would be so good. So much better in the church. So right. Much stronger. Yes. No, definitely. So, and that's why we're, we're doing the class. Yeah. It's a really good. And a reminder for people that have been under it for years. Yeah. No, well, thank you for that encouragement. And. You know, maybe yeah, we'll need to do a better job of kind of explaining the, the outline of how we're doing all of these things. We haven't really published it yet, but at least right now I see that we would be doing certain what I call core classes every year. You know, so that's discovering NCC. What does it mean to be part of this church? Obviously, that's part of the membership process. Um, how people change. This is one of them. How to read your Bible, the basics of hermeneutics. That's another core skill. Um, Kevin Garrett has a class on um like evangelism, you know, sharing the gospel, telling the gospel, that's a core thing. And then Bruce has the class um, uh, thinking through our faith, right? So the, the basics of our doctrine. And, and the goal is that we would be offering each of these classes every year exactly for that reason, saying, yeah, there, there's so many ways we want to grow, but what is the, the bare minimum that we want to start with? And it's some of these topics here. So hopefully that can be helpful. I know some of you have already attended some of those classes, but that's the goal is that we would offer it every single year. So, yeah. Other uh, yeah, thoughts, comments, questions about anything? Yeah. Oh, that, no, that, that's a great question. So, yeah, I can mention it now. Um, what I found, and, and this is where I'm like, maybe this will be a, a good book in the future. There are a lot of great resources that all hit on different aspects of sanctification, but maybe not in the same way here. So I can send a list, you know, on the, the church messaging group if you want. But, you know, some of the, the top resources would be um, how people change. So that's actually where this title comes from. It's, it's way too complicated and wordy for most people to find it helpful. I think it's like 300 pages. It's by Tim Lane and Paul Tripp, but it's called How People Change. Good resource. A lot of it, I would say, people are, might get a little lost in the woods, but it, it's something helpful to think about. We'll actually talk about an analogy or two from there. Um, Jeremy Pierre has a book called The Dynamic Heart. So some of the, the heart material that we'll talk about will go through that book. Um, he's actually the dean of the, uh, the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. You know, great resource to consider. Uh, th there's some others I can post on there. One of the issues you'll find, though, is when you read each one individually, 
you'll either get some aspects of change or it's, it's so focused or that it's so complicated that you might say, I don't know how to <laughs> practice this. So the hope through this class is, hey, I've taken eight or 10 resources. Let's see how we can kind of boil it all down. So great question. I'll, I'll make sure to put it on there. Okay. Uh, yeah, Dan. I know I came in a little bit late, so you may have already talked about this, but if we look at these, um, we're reminded that we're not able to do these on our own. Mm -hmm. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we'll not be able to accomplish mm. the right love for God or the right love yeah. for others. Yes. Yeah, that's a great reminder. I probably should have mentioned it today. I did not. Um, yeah, so I didn't have that verse, but that's also in part of the, uh, you know, first, second uh, Peter 1, 3, right? As God has given us everything we need to pursue life and godliness. One of that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And so when we get into the spiritual disciplines that involve us, that's going to be a huge part of it. So practically, there are things that we should be doing that if you're not doing it, you're, you're not going to grow the way that we should. But half of that is we do this intensely, intentionally but with that spirit of dependence as well. Yeah, and so hopefully that, that can be a helpful encouragement, even to Caitlin's earlier comment about Virginia's class, is, you know, we, in some sense, we need to grow and be intentional, but there's an aspect in which we're never going to be enough on our own, right? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can grow. So thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts, questions? Okay, great. Well, uh, was this helpful for you guys? Okay, great. So the hope is for all of us that it will be. Um, as we're always trying to finish up, um, yeah, thank you. It looks like some of you guys joined. Uh, please do try to join the group if you can. Again, you can scan the QR codes there. You can go under groups and you can see the, the ones there. Um, one thing we do to close out our classes is to read some of the announcements. So I'm going to go ahead and do that here. Uh, I haven't actually looked to see what they are, so hopefully it's... <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that is. And, and uh, the Wi-Fi is not working. It, it is the church Wi-Fi. So if any of you guys have IT skills, you can minister by helping us with the... Okay. Well, I, so, okay, it's, it's not loading. I would just encourage you guys, if you can, to take a look at some of these because, you know, so part of it, even as we'll see over these next couple of weeks, we can't live the Christian life on our own. And we need to be very engaged in the lives of other people. And so that's why we offer a lot of these ministries announcements is there are all just opportunities to fellowship with believers. So whatever they are, please take a look at them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. How do you have the? Oh, you're not using the Wi-Fi. Okay. So uh, thank you so much. So main one, you know, this is today is the start of the equip block. So you guys are here. Great. Feel free to invite people if you know this is helpful. Um, before just starting back up in just a couple weeks, you know, and so for the men, you know, we study this every Friday morning. We're going to be doing pneumatology this coming fall. So the study of the Holy Spirit and how do we understand him rightly. For the women, um, the women's conference is going to be on September 9. Uh, the topic is to live as Christ. So please consider joining again uh, whenever my wife has gone to some of those events. It's always so encouraging. So many good resources uh, consider there. There's going to be a golf fellowship event on September 19. Um, so if you know how to play golf, uh, feel free to attend that. The uh, women's Bible studies are starting up, as all of you know. Please consider joining them. It's a great way to get involved. And uh, Grief Share is starting up very soon. So if you guys don't know about the ministry, it's uh, if you've gone through some kind of uh, tragic or difficult loss in your life, whether it's a loved one or illness, things like that. It's just a great ministry of connecting with others who've also gone through um, trials in life and just sharing that uh, burden with one another. So thank you so much for that, David. 
Um, yeah, and then please consider uh, signing up one for the class, but also snacks too. It's one of the saddest things is when I show up here and there's nothing on the table because I get really hungry. So please bring something, it will be good. And until uh, then, guys, have a great time and service. Thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next week.